0: Well, good morning. Glad you're here today. We're going to be in John 17 as we continue our series, The Gospel According to John. And we've had an exciting week here at Grace Point. Uh, Hagen mentioned the bathrooms. Hopefully you saw those. Those look great. So thanks to everybody who helped with that. We had a lot of people doing a lot of work in there. Thanks to Clark for kind of heading that one up. Uh, You might find a Nerf dart around. We had a nice fun Fuse Nerf war this weekend as well. So we've had an exciting week so if my voice just goes out you'll know it was cuz I was yelling and having a lot of fun there Friday night <clears throat> but this morning we're going to continue looking at John we'll be in John 17 and last week we looked at the holy spirit and understanding his role in our lives as well as us abiding in Christ and a question i have for you this morning as we start to to look at this next chapter is have you you ever wondered maybe exactly how to live life or exactly what to pray for as a Christian, right? The disciples asked Jesus that as well. And maybe you've asked, well, exactly how should I pray or what should I pray for? or What would be on God's mind if he were to pray? And today we get to see just that. We get to see Jesus taking a moment just hours before his crucifixion to stop and pray. And we get to see His heart and what he prays for and what was on his mind at that time. And several times throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him stop and take a few moments to get God the Father and pray. And I think that sets a great precedent for us, a great example right here of if Jesus needed to take time to pray. I think it's important for us as well, we would all say. And, and, and you'll see one example of a, a prayer he gave to the disciples in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. We call it the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. He was teaching them to pray. They said, Lord, teach us how we should pray. So he gave them a model for how to, how to kind of pray. But today, I think this passage is even more accurately called the Lord's Prayer because this is literally Jesus' prayer both for himself, for the disciples, and he even takes a moment and prays for you and me, for future believers, future uh, Christians who would place their faith and trust in him. And so rather than just simply teaching us how to pray, we get to see Jesus's prayer and see what was on his heart and his mind really just hours before he died on the cross for us. So let's go ahead and see how essential what he's praying for. And remember, as we read this passage where we're at, uh, we're seeing a shift in Jesus' earthly ministry. He's ending that public ministry. He's ending that uh, teaching to the disciples here, and he's getting ready to die for us. And he's beginning, uh, really today, we get to see the beginning of the next phase of his ministry, and that is his intercessory ministry, or where he begins to pray and represent us to God. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But as you see this passage today, there's one kind of overall theme that stands out. And that is that the ultimate goal of our lives is to glorify God. Everything Jesus was praying for here in this passage was ultimately so that God would get the glory. And it's interesting to note that this is the longest prayer of Jesus we have in the Bible. He could have prayed longer that we don't have recorded, but this is the longest one we have. And we get to see what's important to him here. So let's see what Jesus prays and see if there's some some examples for us that might be able to help us out as well. Let's look at John 17. We'll look at the first five verses to start. Uh, The Bible says, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, here we see, beginning off, Jesus prays for himself, for Uh, uh, for God to be glorified through what he's about to do. And several times throughout the book already, as we've seen Jesus living out his life in his earthly ministry, we've seen him tell people, hey, the hour's not yet come. Now's not the time, right? We've seen it several times, including once at the wedding where he turned the water into wine and said, hey, now's not the time. But now we finally see him right in in, in verse 1 say, okay, the hour's come. Now's the time. We are getting to... The end of his life where he has come now to die for us and and it's time for that To be fulfilled and the interesting thing to note about what he's saying here is For the son to be glorified. Why so that ultimately God can be glorified right there in verse 1 glorify your son that the son May glorify You so essentially jesus is saying all right, let's move forward with the plan. He's going to die on the cross for our sins so that our sins can be paid for. And ultimately, why? So that God can get the glory from it. Um, And ultimately, that meant for Jesus that he would be restored back to God's right hand. He would one day ascend back to heaven and be glorified back there. But ultimately, it was to fulfill God the Father's will, God the Father's plan, and bring him glory. And how did that have to happen? Well, it had to happen by Jesus dying on the cross, defeating sin and death, God raising him back to life, and eventually him ascending back to heaven. And the reason Jesus came to earth, we've seen throughout John, was for that mission of dying on the cross for our sins, but his whole mindset, his whole goal with doing that was to bring glory to God the Father in everything he did, including dying for our sins, uh, Jesus knew that that goal was going to be accomplished in what he was about to do. That dying on the cross was going to bring God glory. It was, it was going to uh, accomplish that goal that he had to fulfill. And you know, it's interesting that Jesus, our Savior, King of Kings, God himself, he was still focused on that main plan. And that's the first thing he prayed for, for God to be glorified. It sets almost an example for our lives, doesn't it? If Jesus was so showing how important that was in his life, it gives us a great example for us as well. Well, Jesus continues on in his prayer in verse 3. He mentions heaven, eternity. Uh, He says, this is eternal life that they may know you. And something the Bible teaches us, uh, Ecclesiastes 3, eternity has been placed on the heart's of all men. But we have to understand here, Jesus is, again, telling them that uh, that this is part of his goal, right? So that men can have eternal life and know the Father through him. And again, several times in the book of John, Jesus is mentioning how eternal life is is gained, how somebody uh, gets salvation. It's mentioned over and over again, and he mentions it's through placing their faith in the and what Jesus is about to do for all of mankind. Uh, Jesus is showing that salvation is, is centered on the work that he's going to do on the cross. And in verses 4 and 5, Jesus uh, is praying about what he's done here on the earth, all the things he's done, and kind of recapping the, the, the hope that God got the glory through what he's done. His focus in everything he did, every miracle he did, every time he taught the disciples, taught others that were listening, everything he preached to them, everything he taught to them, everyone he healed, the goal was to bring God glory. Every earthly thing he did, and Jesus' last thing he's going to do here, die on the cross for our sins, was no different. Obviously, he was going to be praised as Savior. He was going to be lifted up before men, Uh, he would be literally glorified. But the end goal was God receiving all the glory for his redemptive plan for us to be fulfilled. God was going to receive glory because we sinned, we messed up, but he had a plan to save us, to forgive us for our sins. And, And as you think about Jesus' prayer here, we see in some of the other gospels, right before his death, his prayer as well. And I thought looking at Luke twenty-two forty-two, I don't have this verse on the screen, but Jesus in his prayer says this. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And so we see there Jesus, again, the night before his death, praying to the Lord in another detail that John doesn't have. But I wanted to kind of talk about this because sometimes... Uh, If you're like me, maybe the whole Jesus being 100% man and 100% God, we know it, but it doesn't just fully understand that concept at all times, right? It's kind of a hard concept to completely understand. Uh, But Jesus here is subjecting his humanity to the Father's will. Uh, And John MacArthur says it this way. He says, this does not imply that there was any conflict between the will of the Father and the will of the Son, it was a perfectly normal expression of his humanity that he shrank from the cup of divine wrath. Think about what he's saying there. Is he's saying it would be normal as a human to not want to be nailed to a cross and hung in the air and die that painful death, right? Nobody wants to do that, right? We can all agree. That doesn't sound like a good thing. So his humanity, that's not a, a, a something that he wants. But Jesus's response there was not my will, but God's, and listen to the rest of the quote by MacArthur here, he says, "...but even though the cup was abhorrent to him, he willingly took it, because it was the will of the Father. In this prayer, he was consciously, deliberately, and voluntarily subjugating all his human desire to the Father's perfect will. Thus, there was neither conflict between the Father and the Son, nor between the deity of Christ and his human desires." Jesus suppressed his humanity, his human desires to follow God's will. And he prayed that God's will would be accomplished and God would be glorified by our sins being paid for and forgiven. So you might say, okay, well, Jason, what's the the point to all of this? Well, I guess a first spot to start would be, do we pray? Because if we don't pray, Jesus has given us that example that it's important multiple times. Jesus was God. He made it a priority to spend time alone in prayer with the Father. The next question might be, okay, we all want our prayers to get answered, right? We try to find things to pray for that God's going to say yes and give them to us. Well, if you want that, pray that God will be glorified in your life. Pray that he'll give you opportunities to give him glory by how we live. Seek his will and live life and pray and ask him to give us opportunities to give him glory with how we live. And as Jesus here, he prays this first, that everything he'll do, everything he's done in his life has been to glorify God, and that this last act he's going to do will glorify God. And now he begins to shift his prayer to start praying for believers, for the disciples first, and then later on, us. But in verse 6, he begins to pray for the disciples' sanctification. And that word sanctify means for for them to be set apart for God's specific purpose. And kind of tying this into what we talked about last week, Jesus is praying for his disciples on the mission they're about to embark on without him being here. Remember, we talked about him leaving, and he was going to send the comforter to be with them, and now he's beginning to pray for them again. And Jesus lays out some important truths about the sanctification of his followers Uh, Look at verses six through 12 here. Uh, The Bible says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. And verse 12 says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that scripture would be fulfilled. The first thing we see that he's praying for the disciples about their their sanctification is that they belong to the Father, and this should be exciting for all of us. Jesus says, hey, the disciples, God, they were yours. You gave them to me to serve, um, and he mentions down in verse 8, that they believed. He's, he's confirming uh, the genuine saving faith of the disciples, those that were following with him and serving with him. And he's saying that they took the words that Jesus gave to them and they believed in them. And, and in turn, now they have a mission. Remember, he's starting to pray for what they're going to do, to take what Jesus has taught them and after his death, spread it through the whole world. And just as Jesus mentioned that in the last passage that he's going to be leaving, the Holy Spirit will be coming to comfort them. He's praying here in verse 11 like it's already a a, a done fact that he's going to be gone. Because his death and his departure back to heaven were such a sure thing in his mind that he's praying these things like, all right, I'm already gone. I'm already done. I'm already going. This is going to happen. Remember, it still kind of seemed like the disciples were kind of slow to understanding that fact, but he's, he's praying for their mission, for what God set them apart to do, which is going to be to start the New Testament church. And he prayed for them because he knew they were going to face problems, temptations, trials, persecution. Um, the world was going to throw a lot at them. So he was praying for what they were about to face. And remember, to keep the perspective here, this is right before Jesus dies on the cross. Hours before, and he's worried about making sure he's praying for the disciples, caring for them. And again, throughout John, we've come up with the topic, we've seen the topic of eternal security before, but he's mentioning again the protection for them. He prays that God will keep them, and again, we've, we've seen that talked about, no man can take them out of God's hand. We've seen our salvation is secure, but it's almost as if Jesus wants them to remember that again. Uh, Jesus wants them to ultimately, uh, as he prays here, as he ends kind of this section, that they will experience unity amongst themselves like what the Trinity does. Not that they'll be gods, but that they will experience a unity that only God give to them. And we'll we'll talk about that more at the end of his prayer, because he prays that for us as well. But in verse 12, he prays for more of God's protection for them. Jesus says he had been protecting them while they were here, while he was here with them, and that they were going to face those trials. He'd been keeping them in God's name. He was protecting them from the world. And again, we know our salvation is secure. Why? Because Jesus and God Are protecting it. It's held by them. And that should comfort us a ton, right? It does me. It's not up to Jason to protect it, but it's up to God to protect our salvation. That's amazing. And he did it successfully with all the disciples, verse 12 says, except for the son of perdition, Judas, which we'll talk about next week. And that wasn't a failure on Jesus' part, but rather, as verse 12 says, for a fulfilling of scripture. And, you know, the the kind of idea here in this is that we are gods. We're gods. We're protected by him. And that's an awesome, amazing fact to me, is that our God cares enough to protect us and to be there with us. And not only that, but think about John while he's writing this, right? He's now kind of seeing the whole picture. They were given the words. Jesus was teaching them all this before, and he's writing this after the fact of everything. And I, I feel like Uh, If I were John here writing this, it's kind of like, oh, wow, look at all he was doing for us actively during that time. Probably that they didn't even notice at the time, but now John's writing this after the fact and going, I think it all is starting to make sense now. He steps back and sees, wow, Christ was actively protecting us, praying for us, praying for God's protection and unity over their lives. And it's an incredible thought. He also mentions here in verse 13 that they'll get joy from him. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. We know the difference between joy and happiness. Joy is a lasting satisfaction that's only brought by Jesus. And Jesus knew that they were going to face hatred in the world. He knew they were going to face problems. Uh, Remember, again, where we ended last chapter, Jesus remembered them in John 16, 33. He reminded them, hey, you're going to face problems, but be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. I've overcome, ultimately, everything they can throw at you. And Jesus offers our joy made full in us. The question is, have you accepted that? He also offers them protection, verses 14 through 16. Uh, It says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, the world was going to hate the disciples. Why? Because they just weren't likable people? No, because they were of Jesus. They they were going to hate him because of who Jesus was, because of who they were following, the world doesn't necessarily hate us, but who we serve. And the disciples faced this probably more than we do, right? The disciples were facing, as we get into Acts and see them serving, they were facing death, imprisonment, persecution. They were facing hardships and trials for sharing the gospel. And so naturally, what would our response to something challenging be, the best way to, to not have to face it? typically to get away from it, right? If somebody's mean to us, how do, we, how do we fix that problem? We typically just try to ignore them and not be around them. That would be our idea of how to fix it. So if Jesus is praying for protection for the disciples for what they're going to face, probably our thought naturally would be, well, when we get saved, the safest place would be heaven. So God, just take us right up to heaven right away when we get saved, right? And Jesus is saying, no, God, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but I'm praying that you keep them safe, protect them while they're in the world till they can accomplish your will. And, you know, my brother, I can remember a time when he was younger and my sister and I had already accepted Christ and my mom was with us and we were trying to share the gospel with my brother and get him to understand that. And I remember him finally looking up and go, I know I get all that, but I'm not ready to go to heaven right now. We're like, Brandon, what are you talking about? he goes, well, I don't, as soon as you get saved, you go to heaven. We're like, no, that's not what that means, Brandon. (laughs) Not exactly. We're all saved. We're still here right now, right? Uh, And so he thought the moment you got saved, God just took you right on up to heaven, and that was it. So he didn't fully understand that at the moment when he was, you know, like four or five years old. Um, But that's what Jesus is saying here, because that would be our thought, how the best to get away from the world that hates us, just not be in it anymore. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not God's plan. That's not his plan at all. Uh, Jesus was coming to die on the cross to defeat Satan. But Satan is still orchestrating evil here on the earth. Uh, And Jesus is mentioning protection from the evil one. He was going to bring them protection while they were here serving him. You know, that's some of the joys that Jesus offers us. Joy and protection from the evil one. And while he doesn't take us right up to heaven... We do know that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we belong to God and he gives us joy, protects us from evil. But even more than that, we receive the power that comes with sanctification. Look at 17, 18 and 19 here. The Bible says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. The disciples had been sanctified. They'd been set apart for God's purpose. And this sanctification is accomplished by means of truth, which comes from Jesus. Uh, His word is truth, the Bible says right there. And the disciples were sanctified by that truth that Jesus brought. And in verse 18, he says he sent the disciples into the world, just like God sent Jesus into the world, and he brings up that he also was sanctified or set apart. He was set apart for God's mission to die on the cross for our sins, and he did that so the disciples and future believers like us might be able to be saved and then set apart for God's purposes as well. Again, remember, Jesus' ultimate goal was to fulfill God's will and let that bring glory To God. So what's our goal with our life? Is it living life God's way? Is it bringing him glory? Whatever it is, we know that we are set apart for his plan and that ultimately our life should be to bring glory to God. And you know, as if it wasn't cool to see Jesus's prayer enough here, we now get to see the the last group of people he prays for, and that is he takes a moment to pray for all future believers, including us. Look at uh, the last few verses of the chapter here, starting in verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, all those future believers, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus here takes a moment in praise for all future believers. He prays for us, and he takes a moment to pray for something that's on his heart, on his mind, important to him, and should be important to all of us. But he prays for our unity. That is, that we're together, we're one, we're unified. And he's praying that for the overall future church, both the disciples and future believers. And in verse 22, Christ is praying that the church be unified as the Father and the Son are unified. And you might say, wait a minute, how is that possible? How can all these people brought together be unified? Well, it's possible through the work of redemption that Jesus is about to take place and die on the cross for our sins. Through placing our faith in Jesus, we can have unity with other believers. You know, uh it, it, there also comes several promises with this unity that Jesus brings up. He mentions glory in verse 22, uh, and this refers to the believers' participation in all the attributes and and the essence of God through that indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Remember Jesus saying back in verse in chapter 13 verse 35 that the world's going to know you by the love you have for each Our unity gives god glory and our ultimate goal as christians should be just that He also promises perfect unity for us and that sounds great, right? So how do we get perfect unity? Well, the idea here is that we're brought together through this unity by the common bond that we have in our relationship with jesus You can be brought together with someone else through something kind of superficial, right? Right? When I lived in Florida and I'd see another Michigan fan, uh, we'd be brought together by saying, go blue to each other, and that was the end of the conversation, right? That brought us together for like 10 seconds because we both decided to wear uh, our favorite and the best college football team's gear while we were out in public. But nothing brings true, perfect unity like having a bond in our relationship with Jesus. Ultimately, again, the reason we want that unity is so that others will know about Jesus' sacrifice and death on the cross for us. And the last thing he promises us there is is that we're going to be with Jesus one day. You know, if we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we accept him, one day we will get to be with him in heaven. And that's about as good as it gets. And again, I mentioned here, as we kind of end this today, Jesus was sharing his heart with us about prayer he was sharing what he was praying for for the future christians for the church that they would know god that they would be unified that they would know god's love and it was all about their spiritual growth and their unity my question is do our prayers look like that jesus heart was for his disciples and all future believers to grow spiritually and be unified together ultimately bringing more glory to god And it's amazing to think that just hours before Jesus was going to die on the cross for our sins, he was taking a moment to pray for each and every one of us. You see, this prayer signaled a shift as well in Jesus' ministry. His public ministry is ending, and now he's about to move forward into his intercessory ministry, as we call it. And this literally means Jesus is going to represent us Before God. And I want to share a couple verses because this is mentioned in Hebrews, but this this verse of Him praying for Him in this chapter gives us a little glimpse as to what He's doing for us presently today. Look at Hebrews 4 14. The Bible says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And here in Hebrews, there's a lot to this. It goes, goes uh, really deep into this, and if you want more Clark and Greg went through a study on this with the men's Bible study, and they've got all the notes, and they could get you through these three or four verses in about six months um, with all their notes they have. But we'll move through it quickly here. Here, the author of Hebrews is giving us a comparison to the Old Testament high priest who would represent the people on their behalf before God. And, you know, he mentions here, we have a high priest who's now seated at God's right hand who's gone through the trials, the tribulations, temptation, and he gets what we're going through, but he moved through it. You know, this is a completely new concept to the Jewish people here. They had to have a man go represent them before God. And if that representation didn't go perfectly, God would strike down the high priest. But now we get to come boldly to God, knowing that Jesus is representing us. We'll get Hebrews 7.25 of what it says Jesus is doing as well. It says, Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That is, Jesus is going before God on our behalf. It gives the idea of going before a king on someone else's behalf And Jesus wasn't like the other high priest in the Old Testament who would have to gain forgiveness and ask forgiveness of their own sins before representing somebody else. Jesus' present ministry is that he's there to represent us before God. And we get a little brief glimpse of this the night before he dies. And to me, it's amazing to think about before he goes to the cross to die for our sins, he makes mention of praying for us as well as to give us a picture of what he's doing for us presently now. Jesus showed the most important thing he could do with his life was to bring glory to God. That's what his whole life was all about. And as we close here, and the band will come back up, and we'll close with a song, we see Jesus praying for the present believers, the disciples, future believers, to be empowered to be bold. He prays for, prays for them to know God and to strive with Him. So, what does that mean for us? The first question is Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Because He can't be representing you to God if you don't have a relationship with Him. So, if you haven't done that, make that a priority today. Secondly, if you do have a relationship with Him, what's our ultimate goal of our life, believers? Is it to glorify God in everything that we do? If you get nothing else from this, a few takeaways here. Pray for the spiritual growth of our church family. Jesus made an example to pray for the believers to be unified, to pray for them to know God's love. Pray for others to know that as well, to be unified together and ultimately glorify God with their lives, and then to focus on glorifying God in everything that we do. Make that a prayer in our primary goal, in our life, let's go ahead and stand, and we'll we'll pray, and then be dismissed with a song. Let's pray.